Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Pharma Launch Secrets Podcast. Today I have a pleasure to be joined by Andrew Wilmer. Andrew is currently EVP of Strategy and Innovation at Symbiotics, which is part of Havas Health and You. Andrew has 25 years of experience in the industry, um, having started in the field and, and then have been, have been holding various roles in branded marketing management on both pharma side and agency side. Andrew has a lot of experience in areas such as product development from commercial assessment through clinical phases, NDA filing, and the overall launch cycle. Pleasure to have you today, Andrew. Hello, Bozy. That's a, a very kind history there. Thank you. All right. So we have a lot to cover today. Uh, I'll start with very just high level, uh, which is COVID happened two years ago. There's been a lot of shifts. So on a very high level, what, what is, in your opinion, the biggest shift that happened in the context of pharma launches and COVID? You know, Bozia, yeah, I, I think the, the obvious one is that shift to digital and omni-channel as a key part of the, the marketing mix. Uh, for years and years, pharma had always seen the personal connection, the sales force as being a, a primary in terms of their engagement with, uh, with HCPs. I, I, I don't think there was a, a driven change, but maybe it was more an acceleration of the change towards digital. Uh, and digital engagement uh, that people recognized. I think it's critical to see as well, though, that since COVID, as we've emerged out of COVID, there's been a reshift, a rebalancing of that uh, to recognize that an omni-channel approach is, is vital in HCP engagement. There is still a personal aspect to, to engagement, uh, but virtual is where it's at. People have shifted their approach towards uh, learning engagement, peer-to-peer engagement, uh, content engagement uh, on a virtual stage. Okay. And then if we zoom in a little bit more on the topic, we'll, we'll go deeper on today, which is peer-to-peer programs. Um, and in the context of all those changes in omnichannel, maybe we start first by defining um, what are actually peer-to-peer programs. So what are the examples of uh, peer-to-peer programs? Uh, and then discuss Let's start with that, and we'll talk about how, how actually the, the environment has, has changed. So what are peer-to-peer programs? Well, I guess fundamentally it's, it's there in the name, right? It's bringing together uh, peers, clinical peers, to talk to one another um, under an agenda that's, that's built through pharma with, with content that may be built through pharma. Uh, one of the critical things that I think we've seen emerging is, the, is this desired demand for expert experience, clinical experience, in content that's um, delivered. Um, and peer-to-peer doctors, experts, clinically experienced individuals talking to their peers, other clinicians, uh, giving them advice, experience, and expertise on the clinical situation. That, that's, that's the foundation of what peer-to-peer is. A lot of it as well is reflective of the shift in pharma communications and marketing to need to deliver a more uh, detailed and clinical background to information. So rather than traditionally the rep delivering a single point of information, drug uh, drug X is 35% better than drug Y, 
the need for context of that, the patient populations that affects, how that affects the real clinical situation, that, that's been a change in what's needed to be delivered. And that's where peer-to-peer -peer really evolves as being the, uh, the master in communications, as being that clinical experience. And are there specific subsets of uh, examples of peer-to-peer -peer programs, such as uh, speaker programs, or you would, in that bucket of peer-to-peer, you would also involve uh, what's done at conferences. So what are some of the most common buckets that, in your experience, when people say peer-to-peer, -peer, what are some of the things they think about? Do they think mostly of speaker programs, or do they think more broadly of other forms of peer-to-peer uh, -peer engagement? Yeah, I guess there's emerged to be three, three buckets. There's, there's the... The speaker program-like event, um, you know, one expert speaking to many or a group of, of clinical individuals um, that is supported through pharma, that is is driven through pharma and, it, and its uh, activities. Traditionally, that used to be the dinner speaker program. Today, that's evolved maybe to more the uh, video presentation program or a virtual presentation program, a speaker delivering, delivering a structured presentation. The second part of that is then the conference-led engagement, um, supporting one expert or a number of experts in front of a large, very large group of expert peers under the context of a scientific uh, congress or other environment. The third part has more become the uh, recorded delivery or on-demand delivery of content. Um, through COVID, that turned into video recording speaker presentations and pushing those out of content. We've moved now to a much more nuanced approach of really under, trying to understand how to build the right level of content, the right level of presentation for short moments of uh, uh, clinical insights, clinical pearls or diagnostic pearls being delivered through video platforms or other spoken platforms um, or, or other video-led, on-demand-led uh, activities. That kind of encompasses the three main groupings of peer-to-peer of -peer programs. Underpinning all of that is a lot of pharma support of building the right content, the right approach towards expert and peer engagement, and candidly, as it always used to be, you know, that financial support of helping experts speak to their uh, clinical peers. Great. Just for our listeners who are, you know, outside of the United States, so speaker programs, typically programs delivered either during the day, during over lunch, it can be in the office or hospital or delivered in the evening as a part of a, a dinner where typically one expert would talk to a group of, you know, 10 plus typically uh, doctors, uh, sometimes can be organized for patients as well, with a patient ambassador as well, and uh, basically uh, sharing a mix of disease and product related um, information. Um, okay, so um, as we talk about this kind of form of, 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 of uh, the rolling out peer-to-peer -peer programs, uh, it seems like they're three different kind of ways that are emerging. One is in-person, which is more traditional, which was happening a lot before COVID. And then there is virtual or online, which can be done uh, in like a Zoom-like environment, which is uh, real-time. Uh, some people use the word virtual when they mean real-time. Uh, and then the other one is on-demand, which is basically convenient. Um, so those seems to be like three kind of ways to deliver, whether it's conference or related or, or non-conference related. So in your view, how do you see those three forms of delivery evolving? Where do you see trends going? Gosh, it's a, it's a great question. And I think e even, even now coming out of COVID, uh, we haven't seen a real 
settlement of what's happening. But there are a number of trends, Bozy, that we're 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 seeing in the market space. And and this was reported, gosh, back in tail end of 2021 um, by Clarivate. Then has been reported on on various others as we we started to move out of, of COVID of where doctors' preferences are. In COVID, obviously, there was a, a dramatic shift to um, virtual or on-demand content. Everyone was having to get their educational content, get their peer-to-peer engagement through a virtual video, audio, um, uh, digital platform. There's been a, a little bit of reaction to that. There was some level of digital fatigue, as you might imagine. Um, pharma shifted a lot of content to just being recorded content being pushed out uh, online. And physicians started to look for true personal engagement. They started to look for that interactive engagement as well. And the nation, the world started to open up. Congresses started to open up. Um, and th- there was a, a sudden and dramatic, almost oversteer into uh, live uh, personal engagement or demand for li- live personal engagement. We, we saw just this year, Bozy, I think uh, uh, ASCO reported almost the same number of attendees live uh, this year as they'd seen pre-COVID. Uh, so, you know, dramatic shift back to that personal engagement. However, with that, there's been a really interesting dynamic underpinning things. Physicians are looking for in-person engagement, peer-to-peer, face-to-face, flesh-to-flesh engagement with their their peers to hear expert voices, to hear expert experience. Um, So their demand for that has, has increased. However, their demand for online, digital, virtual engagement has also increased. The number of events that they're attending has outstripped maybe uh, previous expectations of their their virtual engagement. Part of this, I believe, is that a shift towards the uh, attitudes, practicalities that they're using for uh, learning now. CME used to be a a dedicated part of the clinician's day that they would would set aside a, a part of their their day relevant to their practice, relevant to their uh, overall clinical responsibilities, that shifted to a much later time and shifted to also different um, approach towards uh, media itself. Physicians moved from the hour-long block or two-hour-long block of of dedicated learning to moments of learning, to uh, seeking clinical pearls during the course of their clinical day, seeking clinical pearls during the course of their their practice with with patients to really understand relevant things in the moment. So I I think a number of the the, the trends and things that we're seeing is this this shift towards, yes, uh, in-person or personal contact with with peers, but a drive also to video, virtual or on-demand engagement. Underpinning all of that is this demand for personal expert expert uh, um, uh, information experience that that voice of authority if you like bozy um that that someone who who knows the real clinical situation to advise peers and colleagues is a huge thing right and then you mentioned also uh, interesting uh, trends that uh, there are these moments of education and that now they're coming at different time of the day Right. So if I'm now a clinician and I want to, you know, maybe at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. just, you know, spend five, 10 minutes engaging, it's very likely that those moments would be 
more on demand or some of this thing some of them will stay like in person and real time digitally so in your view what are the um, what is the the future and what trends do you see when it comes to on demand content one of them you mentioned it's length of content um, what are some of the other trends whether it's uh, different formats uh, from video from voice to any other formats and gamification so where do you think trends are going and what are physicians demanding and how can pharma adjust to that it's a really interesting question, and I think um, maybe it falls back to some of those, those old principles that we, we always stated, but maybe never really pulled through. Of you know, deliver the the right right message, the right information at the right moment through the right medium. Um, you know, physicians are looking for clinically relevant information. Uh, they're looking for information that affects their practice and their patients. Uh, more than anything else now. They're looking for what is the key part of branded information that, that is relevant to me right now. They're looking for information when they want it. You know, we've, we've moved to an information on demand age, and I think what has, has shifted with that is physicians also recognizing, I need information right now in the moment when I need it to make a clinical decision. You look at, at, at uh, the evolution of um, apps like Figure One as a, as a great example, as being that, that social sharing of, of diagnostic challenges uh, in the, the market space. Physicians have, have shifted to that demand. So they're looking for both the right clinical information in the moment that they need it. And that may be during the course of the clinical day, or it might be during the course of their clinical learning dedicated time. And then thirdly, the right medium. Um, you know, they are looking for all sorts of different media. Uh, this, this makes a challenge for pharma, obviously, and it makes a challenge for all of us in, in peer-to-peer communications. Of what is, what's the single right medium? Where do I put my $100 of investment? The answer today is there isn't an easy response to that. We have to consider a omni-channel approach to, to learning engagement. We have to consider multiple points of engagement with you know, uh, across the uh, physician community uh, and across an individual physician. Like you and I, they'll look at their iPad in the morning, their, their phone a little later on, their computer during the middle of the day, iPad again, and then phone before their bed. So choosing the right medium and, and how content is delivered through that media uh, is a critical part of that. Again, I can't uh, uh, you know, overemphasize that importance of short, clinical pearls being delivered to physicians with an expert voice. That expert authority, that ability to trust the voice that it, that uh, content's coming from is critical to it. So whether that's across video, audio podcast, uh, live webinar engagement, all, all different types of engagement, that they're looking for a, a, a range of those. Really interesting. I, I was actually just, just reading a study about how physicians also want to be able to download information. It's a really, really, uh, and a challenging one for pharma, right? So giving physicians the ability to download information rather than being held um, you know, in the compliant environment is an interesting one to, to consider. But there, there's another piece of it, of that downloadable. I want to be able to take it with me.
Yeah, that's that's very interesting one, and uh, it's just almost like you know. I remember when Netflix actually uh, added that feature, and everyone was like super happy because then when they travel, they can download, and on an airplane, they can actually watch a movie or something or somewhere else and have it downloaded. So there's this additional layer of convenience, and now all of the platforms basically have it. And I know I'm paying YouTube Premium just so I can download videos when I'm traveling, so and watch them later. And um, and what you mentioned, I love how you how you can summarize it like short clinical pearls coming from a trusted voice delivered in a personalized and convenient way and it, it's kind of really resembles how we are all living as consumers and doctors are also consumers like what i just mentioned we all we're all used to as you say i'm on mobile then i'm on ipad then i'm on phone then i'm here then i'm there but those kind of several places where I go to consume content all kind of know what I want, when I want, it's delivered, delivered in a personal way, personalized way, and, and, it, and it adjusts in the world where trust is a, is a really uh, big issue. Now, one of the key challenges there is personalization, right? So how do, like someone who's launching right now and thinking, okay, how do I deliver this personalized content? Where do I start as, a, as, as a, someone launching a product? with our audience? Is it, do I start first with uh, doing a research and then understanding what type of content is needed and create the library of that and so that I can then start to train the algorithms on that and deliver? Or how do, has someone even start to think about that? Oh gosh. It's a big question. <laughs> it's a huge question. You know, I, I think it depends a lot on the, the market space that we're in. Um, it depends on the objectives of a particular launch. You know, are, are we, are we trying to achieve awareness? Are we trying to achieve true engagement? Are you trying to change clinical behavior? I think that, the, you know, it, it depends a wee bit on that. Uh, I, I think, I mean, at Havas Health and you, we, we've really identified that truly understanding your target audience is a critical part of um, uh, any marketing launch, any approach towards, towards engagement. Understanding your audience on a, on a nuanced level being able to engage with them on a personalized level is critical to that. And, and I think, you know, maybe American Express t t t took it and destroyed the idea of, of truly um, personalized approach that, you know, that when there is so much analytics, you can personalize approach, but make it so generic. You know, the how many how many letters do you get that are just titled Dear, Dear Bosey and they know nothing about you? But they've got your uh, your name from from some email listing. I think the critical part of it is to be able to understand the individual behind the name, the individual behind the identity, to be able to target content to an individual, uh, to be able to make relevant content for them, relevant to in the HCP environment, practice experience where they are on the, on a learning journey, where they are on a, a clinical behaviour journey as well. So that, that, that to me is a, a critical balance of, uh, of what needs to happen. Um, you know, for, for the, the marketeer looking to launch their products, identify what your objectives are and understand, truly understand your audience. That will help you define the level of personalization that's needed for any program. And then there's also a lot of talk about, when we talk about content, right? So what's the right mix between disease-related content versus product-related content. I know you and your team also uh, helps with uh, uh, with product launches. So how do you see the role and the balance of those two types of content playing out in what doctors want? 
And what is the term scientific activation that I know you guys use at Symbiotics? How, how does that connect to this topic? Uh, you, you, uh, you move straight to my heart, Bozy. Um, let me describe scientific activation first of all, because I think that, that kind of informs the, uh, the first part of your question. You know, at Symbiotics, we, we truly believe in that uh, idea of scientific activation, that idea of, of turning the, the arid clinical data sets, clinical information into meaningful human data. Information that is going to help a physician to better engage with better treater patients. So taking the, um, the, the small percentages that you'll see in a clinical paper about some level of uh, efficacy or safety result and making them meaningful to each individual patient that a physician sees. Doing that in a way that is understandable. Uh, understandable on a level of clinical practice, on a level of, of um, you know, re real in, in the moment activity right now. What does this information mean for me treating Bozy at this this uh, this real moment? So that, that's that's what we believe in, in uh, scientific activation. That's what we believe um, uh, you know is the big shift that needs to happen. Is that that both personalization and humanization of information. So in order to do that, in order to make that relevant in uh, clinical understanding, we need to look at, at, at two areas. We look at um, a physician's understanding of the disease state. One of the, the amazing challenges we've seen in medicine is a change from um, you know, treating symptoms to treating disease to really understanding the uh, biologic, physiologic, metabolic nature of, of disease and be able to, to target specific processes in the disease-causing uh, cycle. Uh, and being able to, to um, deliver understanding to that to physicians, understanding a deeper layer of, of uh, disease, understanding and be able to recognizing both the presence of disease and, and the cause of uh, the pharmacologic cause or physiologic cause of, of diseases. So that, that's one part of uh, disease-level education that we do. Oftentimes, you know, we're, we're seeing now an emergence in medicine of the ability to treat much more rarefied, much more um, uh, individualized diseases as well. So helping a physician understand, you know, the background to a disease, the background to uh, a, a specific disease-causing process is critical. Separate but related to that is then more of the branded information. The information around a pharmaceutical product itself and what it does in that now better understood disease process. It, within pharma, you know, inevitably this is something that is much more uh, controlled in terms of communication, regulated in terms of communication. Um, we need to be sure that we're delivering the right and appropriate information to physicians to make good clinical decisions. So what that means in peer-to-peer in -peer communications is there is almost two bandings of it. There's that level of, of disease where we're staying away from a drug itself, the specifics of the drug itself, but really exploring the, the causative or uh, uh, impact of a disease itself. And again, activating science, we're humanizing that. Sure, you can understand the lambda-3 pathway of, of some receptor. What does that mean to the patient themselves? What does that mean to their lives? What does that mean to the... Uh, uh, continuity and enjoyment of their, their lives. And then second to that is that branded stuff. I'm thinking one of the things when you, you really nicely summarize it is trust. You said trust communication. So so one, one way that that is achieved is 
by you know having peer talking to a peer right doctor trusting another doctor or kol so what is the position that you think pharma needs to take because pharma of course makes medicines and sells medicines at the very basic level right and um how can pharma you know leverage also peer-to-peer programs to increase the level of trust but also consciously throughout the commercialization of products also work on improving and increasing trust especially now with covid we've seen increasing trust with pharma after you know when new vaccines were delivered now we see decreasing trust so how do you see all this playing out with an overall goal of increasing trust well you know i i think with the same principles that that we all operate in life right candor and honesty uh, are, are two great principles of that you know sharing information and being honest about information uh, in a way that's that's clinically relevant is a critical part of that Pharma's going through a, an interesting time. As you said, it, we've seen this, this wave of, of confidence and trust coming out of, of vaccines that's then waned and declined a wee bit with, with some uh, challenges in the uh, pharma industry. Uh, I think for the individual brand, though, uh, engagement with their audience with a position of honesty, um, supporting their audience by bringing experts with their own clinical opinions, um, to discussion is a critical part of that. You know, we, we, we face and we face every day a real challenge of, of how, how do you bring that clinical opinion and the ability for the you know, pharma company to support an expert, an experienced individual delivering a clinical opinion with the constraints, the confinements of, of compliant uh, information delivery. Uh, and that's a, that's a difficult challenge. It's one that we have to negotiate every day. But it's one that, you know, ensuring that there are certain approaches towards communication and at the end of it, that a physician is delivering trusted information is the best way to, to deliver it. Um, you know, sometimes it's simply not possible to get an expert to deliver information. So, you know, those times you need to, to ensure that there is a, a level of um, academic support that... Um, uh, academic rigor to to content that uh, any individual is delivering. Actually, one thing that I want to ask you about related to trust. So the big part of, of and I've seen this in a few uh, research, uh, market research uh, papers, that ability to have Q&A as a feature, whether it's delivered virtual, real time, or on demand, ability to have Q&A, to have that scientific conversation or clinical relevant conversation that is critical. So do you think that pharma will be... Um, uh, will be able to do that with all the compliance uh, red tapes and challenges or do you just think it's basically essential, it's a must, and it's not like if <laughs> there needs to be done, but it's how to be done. So what do you think is the role of, of that? Yeah, Q, Q&A is, is critical. Um, I mean, you look at almost any survey of uh, Congress engagement or peer-to-peer engagement, speaker engagement, the, the one piece that always comes back is, I'd like to have the ask the expert button. I'd like to have the ability to chat and ask my, my questions. Uh, so I don't think it's a question of, of should it be done? It's a question of, of how it gets done. We've been working with a, a number of really advancing pharma companies on bringing their regulatory into the conversation so that you know we can have instantaneous and you know, inline conversations. Um, that uh, compliance or medical groups are reviewing questions coming from the audiences, uh, reviewing answers that are going out to audiences, 
to make sure that they're they're within a a compliant framework, uh, and that that has to be the new approach to it. We have to have a more you know informed and dynamic approach towards making that happen. You know, I I think with you, Bozy, we, we've seen some approaches to um, I don't want to call it time delayed, but momentarily delayed uh, Q and A sessions as well. You know, maybe at the end of a a live session, there is a section dedicated towards Q and A that allows questions to come in for those to be um, appropriately monitored and screened um, in terms of both the question and answers coming back um, to ensure that the, the right things are being put out there. It, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge for the live environment. It's a challenge for you know that, that involvement of uh, if farmer is going to engage experts to speak on their behalf, uh, we have to find the right way to ensure that they're delivering compliant information for the pharma company, but bringing their clinical experience with it as well. What, what, why engage an expert with the breadth of, and depth of clinical experience they have and ask them to give a canned presentation? You know, that, that, uh, that piece has to be one that we've figured out. We're looking at multiple different ways of doing both you know, uh, streaming and online, um, you know, after the moment, FAQs being you know, available as, as uh, responses so that we can address many of those questions in a, in a compliant way. Yeah, and definitely there is, we're also looking at you know, asynchronous Q&A, which some of the doctors are already used to for years, even before COVID in the virtual advisory boards, where you have a forum-like or Reddit-like questions and answers, questions being upvoted, and then people, you can tag a certain person, and then when they have time, they answer to the question. So you have uh, really uh, focused conversations on specific topics. We recently, even in our own kind of marketing at Interamid, started to test out you know, on-demand videos, but with multiple engagement features, Q&A, polling, this and that, and then an ability to actually whenever someone is watching and asking questions that they get an answer while they're watching. So you have a team who actually has, can answer while they're watching, while the content is delivered uh, in an on-demand way. So how does this all come together um, and uh, for someone launching a product? And maybe best would be to ask you if you see examples, of course, I know you may not want to, maybe cannot mention uh, client names, but do you see like smaller companies in biotech, first time launchers moving faster in this space, larger companies, like some of the examples of uh, programs being done well or course key success factors behind the programs that actually uh, had success? Great question. I mean, I, I think there's, there's almost an inevitable part of some of the smaller pharma are being a little bit more, uh, being faster to adopt different approaches. But smaller biopharma and some of the specialty pharma, you know, obviously they've got a, a smaller um, physician customer base. They're looking to educate and inform uh, a fewer number of, of uh, individuals. And so they can be a little bit more um, bespoke or personalized in, in their approach. But we're seeing also some, some large brands. I'm working with, on a program right now with, with one of the world's largest farmers on bringing to them a platform of, that's um uh, br brings physicians together to to engage uh, with each other on a, on a a case review so it's it's almost like a uh uh you know group case review approach led by and moderated by an expert um to to take people through a a case answer questions during the course of that case within a compliant environment within a you know FAQ structured uh, uh environment as well 
so so I, I think there's there's some changes in pharma that have, have mo- are starting to move towards that being able to get the breadth uh, for large pharma primary care or large community uh, medications is a challenge to it to, to bring out the information but you know the reality is personalization again I'll go back to some of the comments I, I made at the very beginning you know that's reaching the physician in his or her moment of, of uh, clinical need or clinical information need reaching it whether it's it's during the course of the clinical day or whether it's during their clinical learning dedicated time being able to, to bring the right information at, at that point is the critical part to it. Um, it means with you know all of, of what we're engaging with this this idea of omni-channel, multi-channel, uh, multi-platform approaches towards communication is critical. Of it is no longer that old campaign mindset of it's my agenda, it's my information. I'll tell you when I choose to. We have to build an environment that is you know our information delivered to you when you need it, um, provided to you so it's available when when you need it, when you want it. That means giving shorter pieces of information, layered information, building a linear journey that allows layering of, of, of content during the course of it. Um, there are some great um, little branded approaches in technology that are emerging uh, today. Part of the fun of what I have at Symbiotics is identifying some of those uh, new innovative technologies uh, some are coming from from larger technology companies that are, you know, deploying new approaches towards older technology to bring physicians together on on one platform. Some, um, you know, are bringing together expert, learned society content and being able to deliver that, you know, in conjunction with uh, pharma branded learning. Some are looking at a much more personalised approach. Uh, I think I've uh, used the, the term expert engagement um, or uh, uh, peer-to-peer expertise uh, more often in the past couple of weeks than, than ever before of, of bringing together almost one to one or one to very few uh, platforms for engagement of you know short moments of expert engagement with physicians to give them that personalized knowledge information. Great. So uh, we covered a lot of, a lot of topics today when it comes to to peer-to-peer, and it's very fascinating how this whole area will involve world of technology, new, modern, personalized, trusted ways of delivering content that uh, will be challenging and will also create opportunities. As you mentioned, some of some of the opportunities for um, pharma that and, and things that are already happening. As for the very end, I'd love to we'd love to know learn a little bit more about Andrew Wilmer. So I'll ask you a few questions, such as what's your favorite industry buzzword of the year 2022? You may have already said it at the beginning, but I want to make sure that that's your favorite one. You know, you know my, my, my favorite favorite word in 2022 became snackable. And, and I used it more frequently than, than I chose to. That idea of, of short bite-sized content became you know, the word of the moment uh, in the first half of 22. Sadly, like the old Scooby snack, they've uh, they, they've moved away now. Snackable content has moved away more to you know um, uh, targeted content or others. But that idea of, of snackable to makes me. me a bit hungry when you say it because uh, <laughs> I'm skipping breakfast lately on intermi- I mean, intermittent fasting. So <laughs> now it's been four or five hours since I woke up and haven't ate. So so your favorite industry buzzword definitely <laughs> triggers the amygdala. <laughs> we'll find you a snackable moment after this, Bazi.
There you go. And then what's the best book you read in the last 12 months? You, you know, it, it's a tough one. I, um, I actually j just reread re for, a, oh my God, I can't think of how many times, John Krakauer's uh, The Climb uh, about some failed trips up, up Everest, which I, I'm sure you've read as well. I, I, I saw The Alpinist over on uh, Netflix just recently, and uh, yeah, that inspired me to read that once again and, and yeah, remind myself of the, the real challenges, the real uh, you know, considerations of, of thinking of a plan, sticking to a plan, but having flexibility to deal with the reality of elements. Wonderful, wonderful book. Okay. And what's your go-to song when you feel stressed out or you need some inspiration? Oh, uh, this 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 one is maybe a bit too revealing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no worries. I have a very eclectic. Uh, I've, I've got a very eclectic iPhone. No, I you know I think um, you know Pitbull's. Uh, I'll feel this moment. That's that's the uh, the one for me. That's the one that uh, when I'm out on one of my runs, if that one comes onto the uh, the playlist, that'll always just uh, spark the hairs on my on the back of my neck and uh, let me feel good <laughs> about the world. There you all right, go. <laughs> all right. Who in the world of pharma would you most likely take out for lunch? Oh, gosh. I, I guess, like so many of us, I'd, I'd love to sit down with Anthony Fauci and, and understand what really went on. Um, you know, I, his, his announcement of retirement and, uh, you know, all, all power to him uh, to move out from his, uh, his White House and political commitments, I think, is, is, is an admirable. Um, But to, to have to have a moment, to have some time to really spend and understand just what he went through on a on, on a personal basis through the past three years of his uh, of his sport, I, I think would be incredibly fascinating. Um, I, I got to say, as someone in this industry, Bozy, I, I, if I took him out to lunch, I'd have to invite an audience of a, a hundred of my my peers and colleagues as well to hear what he has to say. What a well, story. For sure. And then what is one sentence advice you would give to someone who's just starting right now in pharma marketing and product launches? I think I'd say what I, I said to, to many people joining and being part of this industry. Um, it is the most fascinating, most engaging, most challenging industry to be part of. It is exciting and dynamic as, as pharma sits at that coordination that hub of science and medicine and politics and society and economics uh enjoy it for for what it is enjoy it for the the way that that farmer engages with all aspects of, of of life and society um recognize that you know you're, you're entering into a fascinating world uh but 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 stay you know stay anchored to or stay Yeah, stay anchored to a true north. You know, stay anchored to what I think we all have learned in in our our pharma careers. Of listen, our job is to make make health better, to make uh, make better medicines, make medicines better for the people that use them. Um, you know, and I think that that underpins what we do. Great, it's a beautiful message, and hopefully, people who are just starting out will hear it out. And then, where can people find you online? Oh goodness! I, I don't have a huge online presence. You can find me um, uh, uh, at LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Andrew Wilner at LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, I I I watch, but uh, but avoid Twitter at the moment. Uh, so really, LinkedIn is my my place to find my my commentary, either through Symbiotics or through my own personal pages. 
All right. Thank you, Andrew, for being a guest. Thank you so much. And uh, looking forward to continue learning more about the future of peer-to-peer -peer programs and <laughs> figuring it out for everyone as well. Thank you. Mosey, it's, it's a great pleasure. It's always a pleasure to speak to an expert like yourself. I, you know, I, I rely on your insights and understanding in this, this market space as much as anybody. Thank you. Thanks for the time. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.